Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. I'm Bruce Johnson, joined of course by my brother Jacob Johnson. Hello everybody. And today is Literature Wednesday, so we are kicking off, uh, not kicking off, but uh, rather continuing a brand new book here we started last week. Um, So for the month of January, we're going to be going through Mere Christendom by Pastor Douglas Wilson. So lots to go through in this book. Today, we're breaking down chapters five, six, and seven. And uh, you will have known that if you're following us on all of our social media pages, because that's where we post our calendar every month of all of the chapters we're going through. So follow us at TRD Show on Facebook, on Getter, on Gab. Uh, and Instagram, and then you can follow Real DRD Show on X. Um, so all over the place. And then also, of course, you can go to our show website, drdshow.net, and share that around because we have all of our episodes there. So if you're looking to escape big tech, that's the place to go. So today's chapters are uh, heavy, heavy stuff. A lot of this is is great because this is kind of a... Um, a recap or a a summary of what it means to live in, to defend, to start um, a Christian nation, right? Kicking off a a Christian nation. And so many of these chapters, if you've been a long time listener to this show, are going to sound very familiar to you. And if that's the case, hopefully it gets you revved up and excited and you want to share this book around. Because if you have friends, if you have people, if you have uh, churches that are, you know, very weak-willed churches, churches that are only preaching parts of the Bible, preaching a limited gospel message that the only thing the gospel does is uh, salvation for my own personal soul and can't just, you know, just can't wait till I die and go to heaven because that's really all I have to look forward to. Uh, If they're preaching that uh, twisted, warped view of the gospel, then this is a great book because it summarizes cultural Christianity, which is what mere Christendom is. So lots to get into today, introducing some some topics and themes that we haven't yet gotten to. But before we get into all that, we have to do what we always do, which is talk about our verse of the week. And Wednesday means that Jacob does that. Yeah, and our verse this week is found in Psalms 2, verses 4 through 8. Uh, always a good, always a good place to go, uh, Psalms 2. But um, Psalms 2, verses 4 through 8, and they say, Hey, um, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me. Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heavens for thine inheritance, and the utmost parts of the earth for thy possession. And again, that was Psalms 2, verses 4 through 8. And as I was reading through this, I kind of wanted, I was thinking about the fact that Psalms really is the is the book for kings is like the book for for people to understand what what is the purpose of a of a king what um how important is king our kings and i i'm mainly getting that from psalms too um in the fact of how much it talks about 
um, the kings, especially, and I, I'm going to read um, Psalms 2, verse 10, um, because you have, through all of Psalms 2, this sort of, like, this setting up of this um, warning that King David is is um, bringing in, and it starts with, in, in verses 1, talking about why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing. Um, and then verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his his anointed. Um, yeah. And so then it continues on talking about the fact that God is saying he who sits in the heavens and in comes verse 4, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. So the fact that these kings that go against God, God laughs at them and holds them in derision. And then you continue on, on to verse 7 and 8, where it talks about Christ. Um, I, de- I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. And it continues on into verse 9, saying, you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Talking about that the earth is Christ. The earth, um, saying that God has set his king, has set Christ up as the king um, on, in, on my holy hill of Zion. And he has given Christ the earth. So then we have verse 10. And all of that, um, King David was setting up for verse 10 and 11, uh, where David says, Now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. That whole thing was to set up the fact that fear God, um, rejoice with trembling. Because if you don't, the Lord will hold you in derision. His earth is owned by Christ. If you do not follow, the Lord will hold you in derision. It won't be a good time. So I thought that was interesting. I figured I would point that out. Um, the fact that Psalms 2, if not, if you do not believe that the entire book of Psalms is a book for kings, at least Psalms 2 is. So. Yep. Nice. Thank you for the breakdown, Jacob. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Book for kings. Book for kings to sing, to read. It's the, the absolute perfect book of poetry. Um, so today we're going to be discussing chapters five, six, and seven in the book *Mere Christendom*. And the I'll kind of read off these these chapter uh, headings because they really help you to understand what we're going to be talking about and what the content is of some of these things. But uh, chapter five is what is *Mere Christendom*. Chapter 6 is a brief scattershot primer on Christian nationalism. And then chapter 7 is the goodness of mere Christendom. So lots to discuss here. And there are common themes that run throughout this book, that run throughout this idea of a mere Christendom. One of them, and pay attention for this, keep your eyes peeled for this, is no neutrality, right? The idea that we cannot pretend to live in a nation that is neutral. We cannot pretend to have laws that are neutral. Mm. We cannot pretend to have anything that is neutral. That's a myth. That's a lie. That's not true. That's where secular humanism came from, right? And 
that's the opposite of what Christ has called us to do. We're supposed to make disciples of the nations. When you disciple a nation from the bottom up, every part of that nation is following his word, right? We are supposed to disciple the nations. And so mere Christendom is God's strategy for that, right? Having a, uh, a nation uh, Christianized that then goes and plants seeds in other nations that Christianizes those nations, those nations, etc. right? It's a, it's a, a little bit of ye- or leaven that leavens the whole lump. It's, it's a, a mustard seed that grows into this massive tree. That's the kingdom. It starts small and it grows gradually. That's how we know that this is something that's going to take a long, long time, right? Because it's something that starts small, little bitty mustard seed and grows into this massive, massive tree. So, um, so let's let's discuss what mere Christendom is, and I'll take probably about five to six minutes with this. <clears throat> Excuse me, <clears throat> five to six minutes with chapter five. We'll take another five minutes with chapter six, maybe a little more, um, five or six minutes with chapter six. Jake's going to talk about that, and then finally we're both going to chat about chapter seven for the last ten minutes or a little less. So sound good, Jake? Is that a good plan? Mm-hmm. Great. All right. So not a ton of quotes because we just don't have time. (laughs) Keep it brief. (laughs) I'm talking to myself here too. (laughs) Um, So page 69, uh, Pastor Wilson said, quote, um, he's talking about defining mere Christendom. He says, I mean a network of nations bound together by a formal, public, civic acknowledgement of the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the fundamental truth of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, And that was something that came up several times throughout this chapter, particularly was You can't just say, yeah, yeah, acknowledge Christ as Lord. You have to acknowledge him as Lord over everything. And specifically, Pastor Wilson brought up acknowledging him as Lord and acknowledging the Apostles' Creed. Acknowledging these basic central creedal beliefs about who Christ is, the person of Christ, what the Trinity is, uh, the resurrection of the dead, you know, all of these different things that are fundamental to understanding the word of God properly. Those have to come with it too, right? And so that's how we can join with other people, other Christians who are not of our same denomination, but are wanting to work with us for this uh, this here mere Christendom thing, because we can say, well, do you believe in the Apostles' Creed? Do you, do you believe these things, these, these basic truths about who Christ is, the nature of the Godhead, the nature of what he's doing, right? And if they can acknowledge that, then we can be on the same side, right? Um, Page 70, he said, quote, as we proceed, remember that we must always hold on to the truth represented by not whether, but which. It's not whether we will be governed by Christ, but rather which Christ we will be governed by. The Lordship of Christ is not an option that we might select from a row of numerous options. It is Christ or chaos, end quote. That should be abundantly obvious. Again, this is one of those basic, basic Christian things. If Christ is not the one in charge of something, there's no hole. There's no void. If Christ is not there, it will be chaos. That's why it's it's so vital that he be preeminent in all things, right? That he be in everything. Um, otherwise, it's it's utter chaos. And so for a Christian to say, no, 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 no. Right, to be basically a Gnostic, a modern-day neo-Gnostic, and just say, no, 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 no. The word of God is relegated simply to my own personal 
um, vertically between me and God. Uh, it's my own personal salvation. That's what the blood of Christ was, right? Instead of acknowledging, yes, it's that and so much more. It's the glory of that that allows horizontal now, right? It's Christ bought the whole world and is redeeming everything in it. It's so, so much bigger than just single souls. But that's where it has to start. It has to start, and it did start, on a fundamental level when Christ gave us his Holy Spirit and has called us to do a job, to get to work, right? Um, so now we're talking about some of the particulars. Page 72, he gets a little more specific about, well, what does it look like? And this is specifically for a, a civil government. What does it look like for a civil government to be Christianized. He says, quote, the first thing that would happen in a biblical law order is that the EPA, the IRS, the Department of Education, etc., would all be abolished. Legitimate functions of governments, defense, state, etc., would be significantly downsized or redirected, end quote. So those are things we've talked about for a long time. A lot of times people can confuse what we are because we're not Republicans, right? I used to be registered Republican, but I gave that up um, as soon as I heard people's response to January 6th, right? I heard senators like Senator Ron Paul, or Rand Paul and several others get up there and apologize for um, protesting. And they weren't specifically, specifically saying, yes, the violence was wrong, but the spirit was not. They were saying, no, what they did was wrong right across the board. That's what they do. Right? Republicans turn on their own. It's kind of the, they hate their base um, and the Democrats hate their base almost as much as the Republicans do. <laughs> right? But they have to, this Steve Dace says that all the time, but they, they have to like, they're just using them for money. So anyways, we're not Republican. So what are we? Are we libertarian? Uh, no, because libertarians swing way too far the other way and they have no base. They have no foundation to build on. It's just, oh, personal freedoms. Okay. Where does that come from? Oh. Right, they have no real answer. If it doesn't come from God, then it can be taken away. Again, going back to that Christ or chaos mentality, it doesn't come from Christ. If your freedoms and your inalienable rights are inalienable because they were given to you by your Creator, which means you can appeal to something way, way higher than the civil government. Mm -hmm. Right? They're just the civil government is there to safeguard your rights. They don't give them to you. Yeah. Because if they did, they would be God and they could take them away at any yeah. instant because that's right. So and it, that's the problem with libertarians. Go ahead, Jake. Yeah. In a sense that with libertarians, the question is who's king? Because exactly. if God is not, if God is not king, right. And then you move into a Republican standpoint. If, 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 um, if the government or sorry, a libertarian, if the government is no longer king, because now we're saying the government can't do this, can't do this, can't do this, personal liberties, then person, then human beings right. have to be king of themselves. Yeah. And that's, yep. that's destructive. That, that's chaos. Yeah. Yeah. That's chaos apart from the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the point we made on, on our Monday episode. Yes, personal liberties are of the utmost importance mm -hmm. in yes. Christ, right? If he sets you free... You're free indeed. Don't be a slave to someone else, right? You're not a slave. You're free in Christ. But what's that last part? In Christ, right? right? We, we give up our rights when we say we can have them without Christ. We've just given them up. Mm -hmm. They're gone. So that's our issue with libertarians. Yeah, we believe in pretty much no 
civil governmental control over large portions of that kind of thing. But we say we believe that because that's what the Bible says. The Bible says the civil government doesn't build roads. The Bible says the civil government is not the ruler of society. They are the justice division of society. They're just one small part of a massive, massive conglomeration of people that we call a society. There are four, three other governments at play. Individual, there's the family, and there's the church. And they all play an equally important role. So, all right, with that, there's several more quotes. There's a lot, lot more in this chapter. Uh, I just simply don't have time. So I'll wrap it up with, I guess, a final quote, if that's okay with you, Jake. <clears throat> and then I won't commentate. Or commentate? Yeah, I won't offer commentary on it. So um, here we go. Quote, page 74. Um, he said, I don't want liberty for secularists because secularism is true. It isn't. Secularism is an opium dream complete with flashing eyes and floating hair. <laughs> I want liberty for secularists because Jesus is Lord. Because Jesus is, Jesus is Lord, the right of fallen sinners to wield coercive power must be strictly limited. End quote. And so there's lots, lots more. That's page 74. This whole chapter is just great. Highly recommend you check it out. Um, but it's a, a lot of it is along those lines of what we were just discussing, and he really fleshes those out really well. So. Mm -hmm. All right, Jake, what is happening in chapter six? What's, what's I have there? six. I have six quotes. They're kind of brief. Um, how much time do I have again for all yeah, six? Five minutes or so. Five minutes. minutes. Okay. Six minutes. All right. I, I will try as much as possible to try and go through these because I was looking at them. I was like, I was going through my book, through the book and trying to look at them and like, okay, which, which quotes can I? get out get rid of here and not not put in but i'm like i like them all and i think they're all they 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 work really well with this chapter so this chapter being a brief um scattershot primer on christian nationalism so what we're doing here is we're defining christian nationalism and we're we're trying to understand what what it is um so in the beginning um pastor doug wilson starts out saying we should begin with the recognition that naming is warfare. Any cultural collision, each group want in, in any cultural collision, each group wants to name the other one, and each group wants to prevent the other group from taking that that name and turning it around to be used in a less pejorative sense or even in a positive sense. So naming is warfare. This is definitions. Definitions are king in this sense. And in warfare, who, who, who holds the definition is going to decide the outcome, really, in a sense. Um, so I'll continue on in that we kind of know this. We, we want to define things. And how do we define things? We define things through a biblical sense. That's how we win. We stay through, we stay on the Bible and defi define things through a biblical sense. To continue on, on page 84, um, uh, Pastor Wilson says the one possible toxin in the phrase Christian nationalism is found in the pesky suffix ism. As the fellow said, as the fellow said, beware of all isms except for prisms. Uh, end quote. And I think that one going off of that last quote is very important because now we're talking about what is this name Christian nationalism? And Doug Wilson is is speaking about the fact that everybody has an issue with the phrase Christian nationalism because of that ending suffix, ism. 
we're turning this into a religion, right? This ism, this, this type of thing. And he's talking about Christians. When we are Christian nationalists, we should remember that this isn't our nation is not what we should take our honor and glory in. It's Christ in the Bible. So we need to stray away from keeping that. And, and we've talked about that several times before. Uh, to continue on page 86, uh, Pastor Wilson says, A son who honors his own mother deeply is going to understand why another honorable son wants to honor his mother. That makes good sense to him. A man who loves his American heritage in the proper way is going to understand and appreciate it when an Englishman loves his, and a Korean loves his, and an Israeli loves his, and an Argentinian, an Argentinian loves his. End quote. So, basically, we're, well, we're talking about the fact that we love America because it's a, a good nation. We used to love America because it was a good nation, one nation that follows God. And because of that, we can understand when someone loves their nation, right? So it starts with the love of our nation, again, with the understanding that that nation loves God. Then we can understand why other people would love their nations. And that's, and that's good. And, and he says after that, and as they are all supposed to, as all of these people are supposed to love their nations, uh, to move on. Page 89, Pastor Wilson, and I think these are, okay, my last three quotes, going through them as quickly as possible here. Um, Everyone who subscribes to the Westminster Confession of Faith is a Christian nationalist. This even applies to, to to the American version of the Westminster, which muted the high octane Christian nationalism of the original British version. In the original, it says, it says that it is the duty of the magistrate to take order that unity and peace to be preserved in the church, that the truth of God be kept pure and entire, that all blasphemies and heresies be suppressed, all corruptions and abuses in worship and discipline prevented or reformed, and, the, and all the ordinances of God duly select, selected, administered, and observed. And again, that that was in the that's in the Westminster Confession of Faith. So, um, if you are if you believe in the Westminster Confession of Faith, you are a Christian nationalist. I thought that was a very good one to point out the fact that this is what you believe, right? If you're a Christian and you believe and you're a Presbyterian and you believe in the Westminster Confession, you believe in Christian nationalism. To move on, uh, page ninety. Uh, Doug Wilson says, one last thing. There is no such entity as the Judeo-Christian religion. As religions go, there is no way to combine the view that Christ is the, that Jesus is the Christ with the idea that he was a fraud, or the claim that he rose from the dead with the counterclaim that he did nothing of the kind, or the idea that the New Testament correctly interprets the Old with the view that the Talmud that does that actually, that actually does that. I I thought that was an amazing point to make because we talk about getting back to Judeo-Christian values. That's not the point. We want to get back to Christian values. 
he then goes on to speak going through Andrew Torba's book too. He had yeah. the same mm-hmm. same point, which I think was really well made. Right. A lot of people yeah. say he's an anti-Semite or whatever, which he isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people completely misunderstood that chapter. But what he was saying was, no, Judeo-Christian values are not Christian values. Yeah. <laughs> they are yeah. very different religions. One of them literally has Christ in the name. The other side killed him. Yeah. So yeah. very different religions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To finalize my whole thing, um, one last quote. And I think with this, I need to give a little bit of a preface. Uh, preface. Um, he then goes on to say that we can, um, uh, conservative Christians and conservative Jews can can work together, right? As long as we have the same same end goal for this certain task in mind, then we can work together. But then he says on page ninety one. But then again. These ultimate claims are not consistent with each other. So the best thing that could happen at this point would be for conservative Jews to reconsider seriously the claims of Christ, the Messiah. And of course, everybody else should do that too. End quote. So basically ending, what are we working towards? We're working towards Christ and everything. Everyone knows Christ. Um, the whole world from the least are... of them to the greatest. Yes. Yep. So that is chapter six. I thought it was very interesting. It, it definitely, um, went with a lot of what we discussed in Andrew Torba's book and it kind of mirrored some of that, but with a lot of good, um, additions to it that really helped flesh everything out. So please read chapter nice. six. Um, as a good synopsis of what Christian nationalism is. And I wanted to point out one last thing. I'm sorry. I I know I'm taking up a lot of time, but one last thing he was saying, what is, what is mere Christendom and what is Christian nationalism? He was kind of pointing out the fact that Christian nationalism is we're talking about a nation that is Christian, right? A Christian nation, Christian nationalism, right? He's saying that mere Christendom has just a bunch of Christian nationalism in it. So Christian nationalism says, um, says that the nation that you're in Christianize it and everyone do that. Mere Christendom says every nation, all knees will bow, all tongues confess that Christ is Lord. Every nation will bow to Christ. Yep. So There it is. So we got about four minutes, three minutes left. Chapter seven is the goodness of mere Christendom. Page 93, he starts off by saying, Christians who argue for a secular public square are caught on the horns of a dilemma. Either Jesus wants this or he doesn't, or maybe he doesn't care. If he doesn't want it, (laughs) then why do they? If he does, then why are they not advocating a civil arrangement based on the will of the Lord, which would be a theocracy? Again, this entire, this entire, you know, chapter is talking about the downfalls of the secular experiment, which has failed miserably. They fell flat on their face you know, atheists or fools, as the Bible calls them, uh, fools have fallen flat on their face. Athe- atheism has failed. And so what now? You, you cannot say, oh, I don't want, I don't want Christendom. I don't want theonomy. I don't want this. 
okay, well, the alternative is that. So, you know, have fun, I guess. <laughs> but mm-hmm. that's not Christianity, right? If you're not yeah. advocating for, hey, Christ said make disciples of all nations. What are you doing? <laughs> right? You're not yeah. going outside yeah. your church doors and discipling the city that's right there. Why not? Yeah. What's going on? He he kind of pointed out the fact in that in that same sort of vein um was was saying that like even if you don't think that Christ explicitly said in the Bible to go out and and um and you know change the nations and, and conform the nations then why wouldn't you still like why wouldn't you still say <laughs> I want to I want to christianize the people around me because hey guess what Christians believe it's wrong to murder. Hey, guess what? Christians believe it's wrong to steal. Hey, guess what? Christians believe it's it's a good thing to tell the truth. It's wrong to tell a lie. Yeah. And that marriage the, the secular, is a good thing. Yeah. Encouraging yeah. children, which is the foundation of yeah. a society, is the family. Encouraging that is a good thing. Yeah. And that's a Christian thing. Yeah. And and to yeah. move into another um to continue this on, I know we only have a minute, but I wanted to read a quote on page ninety-five. Um, where Pastor Wilson says, Now, of course, I believe that Jesus is actually a king, not a president. And the Great Commission requires us to proclaim that the coronation has already happened. Jesus is not running for anything. We do not make him anything. He is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, and the President of Presidents. And there is nothing, whatever, that we can do about it. This, that is already the case. The, the world will gradually come to recognize this and will become Christian. And this is good news indeed. This is the good news. And that was kind of, I liked that quote because it was kind of parroting a episode that Bruce and I did a while back talking about the good news that we all speak about is the good news of the kingdom. Good news of the kingdom, this gospel is the, Christ, is, is the point that Christ came. He died for the sins of man. To do what? To go out, go there for, after Christ died on the cross and pun- and and took hit our, our, hit our sins upon him, then said, now, now that that has been done, go therefore into all the world. Now that you can go into, world, into the world with a clean heart, with a clean soul, go therefore into all the world and clean it as well. And, and, and tell everybody that I've cleaned it and that... Yep. That it's now his. Yeah. For Christ did not come to condemn the world, but that the entire world, all of creation, the whole world would be saved. And with that, we are wrapping up for today. Thank you all so much for watching or listening to us today. Thank you, Jake, for all that awesome, awesome book stuff. That was good. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing you all on Friday. We have a brand new series we're kicking off on friday so you don't want to miss that if you are curious about what that series is follow us on any of our social media platforms that's instagram facebook gab and getter you can do that uh by going to actually we're at trd show on all those platforms there it is you don't have to go anywhere just go to that platform and look for trd show at trd show we're also real trd show on x or twitter so Thank you very much, and we will see you on Friday. And remember, everyone, in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord.